from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Any credible person that looked at that evidence, um, I just knew would free him. When you know an innocent person is sitting in jail, not only do they have the ability to stand down, they actually have a legal obligation to do so. It's too much. One night is too much. Three months were too much, and of course we only got it in three months because I fought like hell to get it. <laughs> so this is not just a game. This is not a law school test. Um, this is someone's real life. And so every day that went by felt like another assault on not just Mr. Strickland, but on the integrity of our judicial system. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last year, Missouri prosecutors got a new tool in their arsenal. For the first time, a new state law allowed prosecutors to take action if they identified someone who'd been wrongfully convicted. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker filed a motion using the law on the very first day it went into effect. Her efforts freed a Kansas City man named Kevin Strickland last fall. But since then, no other Missouri prosecutor has attempted to use the law until last week. That's when Washington County Prosecuting Attorney Josh Hedgecourt filed a motion to vacate the conviction of Michael Polite. As a teen, the 38-year-old was convicted of murdering his mother. But as we reported in a St. Louis on the Air audio documentary last year, experts are now convinced he didn't do it. Michael Polite has since been released on parole, and he's determined to prove his innocence. So what does that process look like in light of Josh Hedgecourt's motion? Well, Prosecutor Josh Hedgecourt did decline our request for an interview at this time. But joining us now is a prosecutor who knows how these things can go. So Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters-Baker, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you filed your motion to vacate the conviction of Kevin Strickland the very day that Missouri's new law went into effect. Is well, it safe? Actually, yeah. it was uh, it was um, second after midnight that I filed it. A second after midnight. Okay, I stand corrected. Uh-huh. So is it safe to say you were eagerly anticipating this moment? Yes, yes, and I was eager because Kevin Strickland continued to serve time and was serving his 44th year of prison time. Mm -hmm. So I needed to move with an urgency. And there was an argument when this new law was making its way in the legislature. People were saying, okay, there's already ways that people who've been wrongfully convicted can plead their case. We have a court system. They can go before the Missouri Supreme Court. How did that process fall short? What made this new law so important to a prosecutor like you? Well, I can't quite explain how or why that system fell so short. But Mr. Strickland had filed, I believe, 19 habeas uh, post-conviction motions over a period of 40 years Hmm. and didn't get relief. Um, And the attorney general uh, defended each one of those along the way, so had a 40-year history of, of having opposition to Mr. Strickland's case, so that was certainly part of it. But I viewed it perhaps with fresh eyes, and I viewed it as a trial lawyer that knows what evidence 
should look like and what um, credible evidence looks like in order to convict someone. Mm -hmm. And this ended up being a very swift process. I'm sure it didn't feel like that to Kevin Strickland. But on the other hand, he'd been trying this for decade after decade. With this new law, you were able to do this in just about three months. I suppose uh, to your listeners that three months um, does not seem like a long time. But let me just tell you what happened in that three months. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the process was elongated. I fought, um, I fought hard uh, to keep it at three months. I wanted it shorter than that. And of course, um, the attorney general wanted it to be much longer than that. And I fought for that because during that time, Mr. Strickland's, during that three-month period of time, his mother died. Mm. Um, he was not allowed to go to her funeral. Life continued to go on for him. His health um, began to, to fail even more. And, I mean, it felt like a long, long time um, when you know an innocent person is serving time. You're all but assured any credible person that looks at this evidence is going to see it from that lens. They're going to see it the same way. And so every day that went by felt like another assault on not just Mr. Strickland, but on the integrity of our judicial system. Hmm. So walk us through how this played out. I know people in St. Louis are now really invested in the case of Michael Polite, and and everybody's wondering, what could this process look like in that case? I I feel like what you went through with, with Kevin Strickland and this pushback from the AG, that might end up being illustrative here. So how does this start? Can a prosecutor file in just about any case where you become convinced it was a wrongful conviction? Well, I suppose, um, you know, the statute allows you to use your discretion and file where you believe it, it should be filed and, and not where you don't. And um, to kind of quell anybody's fears that there'll be a race to the courthouse on these as your, your lead up uh, to this conversation was that, that this is the second one yeah. <laughs> in Missouri's history. So, you know, there's not, a, there's not exactly a flood of these uh, being filed by prosecutors. Now, that's because... A prosecutor knows, and and definitely the local prosecutor knows, um, what it's going to take to free someone. He also knows what it takes uh, to convict someone. So I have a lot of faith in Josh that he he has evaluated this evidence, um, and he's doing what he believes is right. He's also doing what he believes is, is adding, actually, adding integrity to the system. Uh, rather than something else. So this starts when when a prosecutor chooses to um, make a motion. Um, And this motion, what kind of case do you need to make? You're you're trying to vacate the conviction is what you're asking for. That's right. It can come a couple of different ways. Um, I went forward on actual innocence uh, because I believed that Mr. Mr. Strickland was, and in fact he was actually innocent of that triple homicide. He was he was convicted of, um, accused of in 1978 and, and convicted of in 79. So the, the case that, um, that is against this, you know, this other individual, um, the certified 14-year-old, mm-hmm. in his case, um, it might take on a slightly different uh, kind of arguments might be added, like uh, there may be constitutional violations in his case 
there may be new evidence in his case, and I do understand um, there's a pr- rather explosive uh, bit of new evidence, and that is the primary evidence used to convict him has been determined to be faulty. Uh, the the uh, the shoes that uh, believed were to have some accelerant on them, um, linking him to this arsonist fire that killed his mother. Um, well, now we know that's actually not accurate evidence. Yeah. And so the prosecutor can come in and say, okay, we want you to vacate this conviction because of these reasons. You went with actual innocence. In this case, they can say and did say uh, this scientific evidence has been proven to be false here. Um, What is the sort of burden of proof? What kind of standard are you dealing with um, in terms of trying to convince the judge to act? Well, that's all, you know, there is a prescription for that um, actually laid out um, in the legislation, Um, you know, the... um, the legislation that was passed um, last year. However, it's still kind of um, unclear. Uh, we, we weren't really sure what would be needed. We weren't really sure, um, you know, what was going to be enough, you know, for this uh, new statute listed under 547. And so, you know, it, we were testing it. And, um, in our case, it was just so painfully obvious. You know, like I say, any credible person that looked at that evidence, um, I just knew would free him because they're, they're in my case, um, or Kevin Strickland's case, it was uh, the one piece of evidence they had. Like in Josh's case, there is the one piece of evidence uh, that really convicted him. The shoes um, are faulty. In Mr. Strickland's case, it was the fourth shooting victim who survived, she said, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. Hmm. Tim. And we, we really tested, you know, that theory, we really tested a recantation um, because as a prosecutor, I, I want to know the quality of a recantation. I want to know, should that, is that credible? Is it believable? Um, and of course, in this case, it, it, was, it was very believable. And you mentioned the attorney general still fought you tooth and nail on this motion. Um, What kind of rights or what kind of role do they have or can they have as this process plays out? Um, They, you know, I I think um, they will have full rights. I think we had a, I thought it was a silly fight over discovery. Um, Should the attorney general have all uh, the discovery in a case? Of course, I believe the, you know, any any person that's engaged in litigation should have discovery. That's a basic tenet of being a prosecutor, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the, the nonsense about it in our case was that they've had Mr. Strickland's case for 40 years. Not just, you know, was it historical. They had been fighting a habeas over that summer. Uh, you know, so they, they had all the discovery, of course. It's laughable that they would not have had it. Um, so we had to spend time litigating um, kind of, uh, in my opinion, foolish things like that, that um, wasted time, but also um, wasted some people's patience. Mm. And again, when you know an innocent person is sitting in jail and they got to spend another night in jail, it's too much. One night is too much. Three months were too much. And of course, we only got it in three months because I fought like hell to get it, yeah. <laughs> get it calendared. And that the, those are the types of fights that we had. They were, honestly, they were disingenuous fights. Um, they were 
um, they were disparaging. It's um, very troubling, very troubling when it's another state actor who has really the same oath and duty as the local prosecutor. You know, in the case of you're talking about the same oath that Josh has, um, I bet they will view their role quite differently. Yeah, I mean, would the attorney general have the option to stand down if they looked at a case like this and they decided, hey, you're right, uh, Gene, Kevin Strickland, this guy is innocent. Or if they looked at this Michael Polite case, wow, there's clear and convincing evidence of of actual innocence or a constitutional error, came to the same conclusion that the prosecutor trying to vacate this conviction. Could they just stand down and say this guy should get out of, of prison? Of course they do. And not only do they have the ability to stand down? Do they have the discretion to decide what is the right path and course to take? They actually have a legal obligation to do so. So this is not just a game. This is not a law school test. Um, This is someone's real life, and it is also a prosecutor, whether you are an assistant attorney general, the attorney general, or, or a local prosecutor. It's all the same. We're all bound by the same oaths and duties and responsibilities. And that is you do not let an injustice stand when you know it is, it is wrong. And so it's that simple. They should morally, you, sh- you should do this, but also uh, they are by their own oath um, should use their discretion to not fight cases where the evidence is so very, very clear. And in your case, in the Kevin Strickland case, they did fight it. Did that end up being then a hearing where you're on one side arguing, let this man out, and then they're arguing, keep this man in? Correct. Um, That's exactly how it happened. And we, you know, after days of doing that, we get to closing argument, and they produced nothing. (laughs) Nothing. After this whole battle, this whole long fight, as if we are just, you know, engaging in some kind of theoretical discussion with a man's life on the line, and we're all seated there in the courtroom, closing arguments have to be made. And those um, were just not very, um, there there was just nothing, they had nothing. They gained nothing from the whole process. Um, I'm not sure what anybody gained from that whole process. Now, they do have a right, of course, to use the statute in this way, but they also have an oath and a duty and a responsibility to do it responsibly and to use their discretion wisely so that the criminal justice system is not further injured. And so how it worked in in the Strickland case then, did the judge just rule there on the spot uh, the way that a a jury might in a trial, or do you all go back and and you hear months later, here's my written decision? In our case, uh, the judge brought us immediately back in chambers and said, how quick can you move? (laughs) And of course, we said, we can move quick. (laughs) We'll move quick. Um, So he wanted uh, written findings. And I think he was a little worried about, um, you know, what kind of law could be set here. And so, um, you know, I was not offended when he asked for each of us to prepare for him proposed written findings and a deadline to do that. Of course, we pushed um, on the timelines for those deadlines to be to be pushed quickly. And then once you got those to him and, and the other side had to hit that deadline, he, he moved pretty swiftly on this. He did. He did. 
Well, so that's a happy ending in the Kevin Strickland case. We should mention, as we're talking about Michael Polite, where there's now a similar motion that's been filed in Washington County by the prosecutor there, Josh Hedgecourt. Uh, Michael Polite was released on parole this spring, so at least he's no longer in prison. He's living at his sister's house in Afton. He's trying to put his life back together after 23 years behind bars. He and his attorneys gave us a statement. It says this, quote, We thank the Washington County prosecuting attorney for his efforts to overturn Michael Polite's unjust conviction and apply him for acting upon his oath as a minister of justice to ensure that justice is done. After conducting a full review of the evidence, Mr. Hedgecourt reached the only conclusion supported by the facts. Michael Polite's conviction is based on evidence that everyone agrees is false, and a conviction based upon false cannot stand. We hope that the court moves quickly to hear the prosecutor's motion, overturn Mr. Polite's conviction, and finally provide closure to a family that has waited 23 years for justice. Again, that statement is from Michael Polite's attorneys. Um, Jean Peters Baker, as we're thinking about this case, I am struck by the fact that this is only the second prosecutor in the state of Missouri to attempt this. And, you know, there's been talk in in St. Louis. uh, The circuit attorney here has previously argued that a man named Lamar Johnson was innocent. She was blocked by the Missouri Supreme Court. She hasn't yet filed a motion to vacate in that case. Why do you think we haven't seen more of these motions across the state of Missouri? Well, I'd like to uh, think that this is still somewhat rare, of course, you know, that when the state gets it so terribly, terribly wrong, um, that it's still, it's still something that is fairly rare. But there is also a reaction, I think, by um, many of us who are in the criminal justice system, um, you know, kind of a knee-jerk reaction that that can't be true. And so I guess I would just say to all listeners, um, all people who have finger in the criminal justice system, you know, it's our, it's our responsibility to keep our mind open. Now, that's not to say um, I have not already declined several other requests that have come to me, mm-hmm. because I did not believe that that request was supported by evidence. But you must remain open uh, that this could happen in the best system in the world. It could still happen. And when it does, when it does, it needs true ministers of justice to correct it. And I'm, I'm really um, hoping um, in future cases that the true ministers of justice will prevail. Well, Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters-Baker, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.